You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. Good morning. Uh, as you get settled in, turn to 1 John chapter 3. This is where we've been for the last few weeks as we've kind of surveyed chapter 3 and we've understood and have been taught the important role of sin and love in the believer's life. And now we're going to move on and finish up chapter 3 and look at our holy affection towards Christ. Our holy affection meaning that we are set apart, that we have a love set apart for Christ. And that this is the assurance of our faith. And so real quick, let's look at verse 1 through there. Chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to what John says to his readers. He says this, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. And John writes here, he says, See how great, see how great Father's love is. And in this phrase, it's one that is only used seldom. It's only used seldom in Scripture because it has no parallel theme or term to any word in our English language. So it is seldom used. And John is saying, look how amazed. It's the only word I can think of, but look how amazed I am that God loved us. The Father bestowed on us His love. See how great this love is. And it is so impossible for us to articulate in our human language and as foreign to our human mind to think but this love, this agape love, it means that He, the Father, of His own free and uninfluenced will, chose to love us. He chose to love you. And so it says that He would be called, that we would be called children of God, that He bestowed this love upon us, that we may be called children of God solely because He, He lavished His love upon us. We could be called children of God. And so then He goes on to say this, He says, for this reason, for this reason, because out of God's love, His own love, He called us, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. They will not know us because we are a new creation. We are a new creation founded in Christ. So we look foreign to this world. This world cannot recognize who we are. And more so, it cannot recognize what we choose to do when we follow Christ. It seems backwards. It seems out of this world. And so look what Peter says in 1 Peter. You don't have to turn there. 1 Peter 2.11 says this. He calls us alien and strangers. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lust which wages war against the soul. We believers are aliens and strangers to the lust of this world because we no longer live, but Christ lives within us. Christ indwells us through His Holy Spirit. So we look like strangers. We're ugly, right? We look weird to the world. Someone says, how in the world can you love this person when they've done this? That's so foreign to the way they think, the way they act, the way they love. We love selfish. 
nothing in return. They love with, how can I gain? What can I get from this? And so it's backwards. It's a backwards view on the way we see life. And then I love what John writes next in verse 10, chapter 3. He says this. He says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So as believers, by nature, this verse is saying, by nature, we are compelled to practice righteousness. By nature. And to love. What does this look like? Understanding that we are one unified body of believers under one authority, Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. That we are unified. So what does this mean? What are you saying? That we are truly believers when we are one body. Here's the example. If you ever have smashed your finger with a hammer, you feel it. It resonates through your whole body. Now later on, the finger, you may not feel it again until something hits it, you know, for bruise. But once we feel it, once again, it's going to resonate through our whole body. And so we have to understand, last week when Casey says we pray for the persecuted church, our heart should ache for the sins of this world. Our heart should break for the sins of this world. As believers, we are connected. We are connected and we must believe that doesn't matter if we're only in denim strings. We're not just connected to this faith family here. We're connected to the universal body of believers. And when they hurt in the Middle East, we hurt. And when they hurt in Africa, Asia, wherever they are, we hurt. And we have to believe this. And this is what John wants us to know. He wants us to know that we are one body. And so when we have a holy affection, our heart is set apart to love like the world does not love. Because the world could care less what's happening now, unless it's benefiting them. Other than that, they could care less. But our heart yearns for that. And then finally in verse 16, which you've heard this morning already, you'll hear it again. And so Casey so wonderfully last week and so accurately described this verse as a demonstration verse and one of the greatest demonstration verses that we know in scripture. First John 3.16 says this, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brother. So what do you mean by demonstration verse? And just recently, we've come back from uh, Jordan and we got to sit down firsthand and, and hear the stories of, of what the Syrian war is all about. And the way it started, there was a demonstration. There was a public demonstration. There was a couple of young men or young boys that wrote on the wall in their town. And because they wrote on the wall, the government said, well, we must, we must have a demonstration. We must show the public what will happen. We must show them that there is a consequence to your actions. And so they bring them forth and they do a demonstration. And because of the demonstration, a war breaks out. And I know that's a short story of it. But a war breaks out against this terrible act. And so when we flip that story and we look at Jesus, we look at what he did. We look at his public demonstration on the cross. And we look at it because he laid his life down. Don't, 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 don't overlook this when you read this verse. 
He laid his life down. No one forced him. He laid his life down. And so a public demonstration brings us awareness and consequence. And so Jesus laid his life down in a public demonstration to declare war, to declare that the war against sin is over. That it was over. And that we have victory. And that he redefined love for all of us, for all of us who trust in Christ and the perfect and finished work on the cross. And so the consequence is this. The consequence is if you don't follow Christ, is hell. Because there is a war that has been waged. There is a war that has been waged against sin. And we're going to fight against sin. And once you realize that Christ has laid down his life for you, the victory is won. But it's not over. It's won and you have victory in Christ. You have fellowship in Christ. And you are called children of God. And that is good news. But the war's not over. The war against sin is not over yet. It will be over. But it's not over yet. We still have a life to live. We still have a life to prove that Christ is our Lord. And that when we sing these songs and we say, Lord, I need you, that our life looks like we need Christ more than we need a paycheck, more than we need a friend, more than we need acceptance. a tough verse to sing. I pray that we don't sing it in vain. I pray that we are a people that mean it. Because it's tough. It's tough to lay down our life and follow Christ. But the rewards are great. Rewards are great. And so let's pick up now in verse 19. As we close out chapter 3, verse 19 says this, We will know this, <coughs> uh, I'm sorry, we will know by this that we, are, that we are the truth, and will assure our hearts before Him, and whatever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and knows all things. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments, and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. The love who keeps his commandments, the one who keeps his commandment, abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so let me just take a moment and kind of set the stage here for the readers as we look at John's letter and we think through John's letter and we know that the overall theme of John's letter is assurance of salvation. Jonathan Edwards, if you don't know him, he's one of the, I would probably say one of the greatest American theologians uh, that we know as Americans. He's probably one of the greatest theologians to ever walk here in America. And he ministered during the 18th century, during the Great Awakening. And he was used by the Spirit of God to speak truth. He was used by the Spirit of God and some counsel of others to teach on salvation. And the power of the Holy Spirit used Jonathan Edwards to move throughout this country to cause revival in the heart of God's people, in such a way that was so great that the question arose, well, how is my salvation secure? You teach of this gospel. You teach that if we accept Christ, that when God calls us and we accept that calling, we live for Christ, how do I know it's secure? And so Jonathan Edwards, he wrote a book, and it was called The Treatise Concerning Religious Affections. And in this book, listen to what he says. In his book, he says this, 
that the most accurate proof of salvation is the presence of one's life of holy religious affection, a zealous and biblical inclination towards righteousness evidenced by practical good works. I know that was a lot. <laughs> so go back and listen to it. But this is what Edward said. What is Edward saying? He means this. He means that, that, once we, that once God draws you to himself, your affections are no longer for this world, but they are for God, and they are a holy affection. So he writes this book to explain to the people that your life is no longer your life. God drew you to himself and gave you salvation. You cannot do anything to remove it. You didn't draw yourself to God. You didn't tell Him that you needed to be saved. But He drew you to Him. He laid down His life. So it's saying that our affections now are no longer for this world. They were for this world. By nature, they were for this world. But they are no longer of this world. If you are a believer, if you are a child of God. And so this idea that Edwards had, he didn't, it didn't originate in Edwards. <laughs> it originated in the Word of God. And we see it throughout the New Testament in the book of James. We see it, we see it in Paul's letters, we see it in John's letters. And, and Edwards, just like Paul and John, he wanted their readers to be assured of their salvation. And this is what John says in, in, in 1 John 5.13. He says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you may know you have eternal life. This is John's goal. He wants you to be assured of it. You can't waver in and out of salvation. But there is a point that when our affections are for God and not of this world, consistently, not perfectly, but consistently, we will know that we are sure of our salvation. And so in this passage, these last few verses of chapter 3, John gives us five attitudes that a true believer will constantly manifest in their life. There's five attitudes. We'll start with this. The first one is gratitude. Gratitude for God's grace. Look at verse 19 through 20. It says, We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before Him and whatever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Every human being inside of them is born with the law of God. Every human has this innate desire to do right. So that means we know what's right and wrong. No one, we know, we always hear the stories, no one taught your kids to lie. They just lie. I don't think you did. If you did, we'll talk after. Come see me. Uh, but no one has taught that. There's just this innate desire in us to do wrong and then also to do good. So, so by that, uh, this is what Romans says. It says that for when Gentiles who do not have the law do in uh, Romans 2, 14 through 15, it says when the Gentiles who do not have the law um, do uh, instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show that the work of the law written in the hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternating, accusing or else defending them. So it's our thoughts. This means that every person has some degree of self-knowledge, of self-awareness, or the ability to know or recognize right from wrong. We have that ability. 
And so the believer, the difference is the believer has embraced the truth of the Scripture, has embraced the Spirit of God. And so we want to do well. We want our affections to be First Peter says this. First Peter 1.20 says, For you have been born again, not of a seed which is a perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. We are a new seed. We are a new creation. And then John 17.17 17 says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. When believers obey the word of God, here's the key, when Believers obey. When believers obey the word of God, their conscience confirms what is right and convicts them of what is wrong. When we obey the word of God, when we dive into the word of God, when we draw near, when we abide in Christ, the spirit of God in us will convict us or it will confirm. It will convict or confirm. So look at my verse 19. It says this, we will know by this, that we are of the truth. This phrase, we will know, in the Greek means to learn, to find out, to realize. That we will know by this. By what, John? Look at verse 18. If you turn back just a little, verse 18 says this. Little children, let us not love the word, or let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so the ending phrase here, that we are of the truth, it literally reads this. This is what it reads. It says, out of the truth, we will exist. <laughs> Out of the truth, you will exist. You have no existence. You have no meaning. You have no purpose apart from Christ, apart from the truth, apart from the Word. If you're walking this life apart from that, even though you showed up here Sunday morning, you have no life. You do not exist. You are a dead man walking. So apart from that truth, you have nothing. But here's the beauty. Look at verse 19 at the end. It says, <clears throat> it says, and will assure our hearts before him. It says, you will know this by the you are of the truth, and will assure our hearts before him. This word assure means that we can stand in a calm and tranquility and confidence before our God on that day, knowing we are secure. Knowing that. It says, and we'll assure our hearts, our hearts will be sure, they will be affirmed that we are followers of Christ. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. Listen to verse 20. It has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with Him. It says, and whatever your heart condemns us, for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. What does this mean? What does this mean by saying the believer must have a gratitude for God's grace? It means that even when the believer experiences unnecessary guilt in our heart, and our heart condemns us, there's a higher court. His name is Jesus. So our gratitude must be for His great grace. His great grace. Because we're human, there's going to be times where our heart we may waver back and forth whether we were right or wrong. God is so good. And His grace is so efficient. And it's far greater than even feeling or emotion that we may have. 
so we can rest in that. We can have a gratitude of grace towards that. Paul writes this in Romans 1. 8, one. He says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say in verse 33, he says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who will intercede for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or neckness or peril or sword. Just as it is written. For the sake, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all of these things. I love this. In all of these things, we are overwhelmingly conquered through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can have assurance. You can have assurance. Christ is the only thing connects us to the Father. And there's nothing that can take that away. Nothing. So the second attitude, as we look at verse 21, is boldness. We must have a gratitude for God's grace. Then we must have a boldness, a boldness in prayer. Verse 21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Beloved, brothers, if our heart does not condemn us, we must have confidence before God. This word confidence translates boldness. It translates freedom of speech. That we can have a boldness, freedom of speech. Listen to what it says in the Greek. It says this. It says it describes a privilege of coming before someone of importance, power, and authority, and feeling free to express one's mind. How great is that? We can walk into the presence, that we have that access to the presence of God, that we can stand in a freedom, in a boldness, and confidence to speak our mind, and to be honest with God. I challenge you, be honest with God. You can say, God, life sucks right now, and that's okay. But you can also say, God, you are so good. You're so good. Be bold in your prayers. Be confident that He hears His children, that He loves His children. So the writer of Hebrew uses the same word in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. We understand that God is, has graciously lavished His love on us. We will have confidence and our request from our hearts will be in line with His will. That's where the end comes. That's where the end of verse, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the beginning of verse 22 comes from. It says this, and whatever we ask, we receive. That's where it comes from, that we align ourselves with God. And that our heart asks for the things of God. 
not for what we want, what we desire. But see, that's the, that's the, that's the key. That's the key is that when, life, when our life is transformed into Christ, it's no longer I live, I don't have to teach to you, don't ask for the red Ferrari type thing. I don't even have to ask that. I say, allow God to speak to your heart. And when He speaks to your heart, you will ask for the things of His will. You will want to love others. You will want to serve others. You will want to dig into His truth and to find out more about this gracious, loving God. That He lavished His love on us. That it was unmerited. That we didn't have to do anything to obtain it. He just loved us. So be bold in your prayers. Be confident in your prayer. The third attitude is this submission. Submission to God's command. And I think this is a tough one because obviously John repeats this a thousand times in his letters. And he says it once again here in verse 22 towards the end. It says, because we keep his commandments. We've heard this. Keep my commandments. Love me. Obey me. Keep my commandments. Love me. Obey me. You will know the truth. Keep my commandments. Love me. Obey me. We've seen this throughout 1 John, the book of 1 John. And we're going to continue to see it even more as we get into 2 John and 3 John. But he says this, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. It is necessary. He doesn't say it for any reason, but it is necessary that we keep God's commandments. As children, as followers, believers of God, we desire to keep his commandments. Note at the end of verse 22, it says this. It says this. Do the things that are pleasing in His sight. That's why we submit. That's why we submit. That's hard to do. I know we, we, even with our wives, we think of that word, and wives and husbands and all this, we think of the submission, this role of submission, how that plays out in the believer's life. And that's sometimes it's tough for us to recognize because of pride and, and many different things in our life. But for us to submit, for us to submit, it brings pleasure to the Father. It brings pleasure to the Father. I can think back even when I was a child. I can think back um, when I would play sports as a, at an early age and that when you did something good or you thought you did it good, you, you looked back in the stands, you wanted to see your father's approval. I see that now in Hayden's life. He runs to do something, he looks back, he's like, he's waiting to see if I'm pleased, if I'm excited for what he's done, what he's accomplished. And that's what the Father does for you. He's pleased with you when you follow His commands. It brings pleasure to the Father. So submit. Our submission brings pleasure to the Father. It's not a rule. It's not a regulation. It's not like this God's going to you know, destroy you if you don't follow one little rule. It's not this fear. But it's a love. It's a love that compels us to submit to Him. And it brings joy and pleasure to our Father. So submit. The fourth attitude is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 23 it says, This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Every believer of Jesus Christ must believe in the name of Jesus. We must believe in that. This is where believers draw our assurance for salvation. I don't believe in Jason. So I wouldn't have assurance. But I believe in the name of Jesus, thank God. 
but I believe in the name of Jesus. But that's so true. So, so often, we don't say that I believe in Jason, but I do it in a way that looks like I believe in Jason. I show up on Sunday mornings. I put on my smile. I go serve at the soup kitchen. I give money. I do those things so that I look good. That's wrong. It's so wrong. Have faith in the name of Jesus. That we pursue Christ. That when all these other things that I just mentioned, we don't even know they're happening. We love Christ. Love Christ. And so the object of our faith has to be Jesus Christ has to be His name and His name alone. Not by my power, but by His power alone will I be saved. Look at John. He writes this in verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son so that you may have eternal life. We read it. We're reading it again. It's like John keeps repeating things, so I'm going to keep repeating things. He wrote this so that you will have eternal life, that you will know that your life is secure in Christ. Have faith in Jesus Christ and His name and His power and what he did on the cross. And then also in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, 31, he says, But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is, the son, is, is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have eternal life in his name. In his name. And then once again, in verse 23, we see John throw the little tag in there. It says, Love one another. He tags it again. And it's interesting here that he says, believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another. Very interesting. It wasn't a, a fact like, okay, you must believe in Jesus Christ and love. Like, it's two things here. It's like, you've got to do these two steps. It's saying that when you believe in Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, you will love one another. All right? It's together. You can't help it. If you have a new nature in you, you will love others. You will serve others. And so he says, believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Just as he commanded us. And the Greek word here for love, it's a different meaning. It's a sacrificial love. It's not a feeling, but it's the will and choice to love someone. It's not about a feeling. It's not about a feeling. And then last, in verse 24, the last attitude that we have is appreciation. We have an appreciation for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Let me ever think about that. Do you ever just rest in that? Like, God, thank you. Thank you that it's not me. Thank you that you sent your helper, that you didn't leave me here alone on this earth to walk. You didn't come and give the example and leave. You left your spirit. Look at John writes in verse 24. He says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he given us. This is the blessing promised to the ones who keep his commandments. He says in verse 4, the ones that keep my commandments that is, he abides in Christ and he in him. The term abide means this. It means to stay or remain. So we must be thankful. We must be appreciative that we have a shared life. We have a shared life. 
Spirit of God lives within us. We are shared that God has given Him Spirit to us so that we can live this shared life and be a Christian together. Salvation is not a one-time event. If you believe that, I'm sorry. Bust your bubble. It is not a one-time event or a moment or a period in history. Salvation is a way of life that entails a willingness to follow Jesus no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Listen what Luke says in chapter 9, verse 23. He says, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. There's so much in that verse, and I could keep on that forever. But take up your cross and follow me. And then he goes on to say this in the same chapter, verse 57. He says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, <laughs> he challenged Jesus, right? He's like, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Trust me, I'm with you. Look what Jesus says to him. He says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, after he says this, he's like, hey, I got nowhere to stay. <laughs> he says, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. Jesus says to him, he says, allow the dead to bury their own. But as for you, go and proclaim wherever the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, <laughs> but first, First, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. There's a cost factor. And that cost factor is your life. And it is all of your life. That you are willing to surrender all that you are to all that he is. And that when you get behind that plow, you don't look back. There's going to be tough moments. There's going to be tough roads ahead that we push through. That we push through with this in mind. We have a helper. We have a helper. We're not alone. So we can be appreciative of that. So here's the challenge today. Here's the challenge before you and I today. John gave us five attitudes that true believers will will constantly manifest in our lives. We're a true believer. will constantly manifest these. The believers will have this holy affection that we are set apart, that we have a love set apart for His glory, for His purpose, not for the world, but our affections are in Christ. And so let's be honest here. Let's be honest and respond to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. There's only two responses to this message. Only two ways. And I love it because John, John's very black and white. Very black and white. He only gives us two, two responses here. And he does it throughout his scripture, throughout his letters. He says, You either walk in the light, or you walk in darkness. He said, You have the Spirit of God or you have the Spirit of the Antichrist. Constantly saying, He's constantly using this. He's constantly saying, You're on this side, you're on this side. You either love your brothers or you hate them. One or the other. So we have two responses here. 
Our attitude must be one of gratitude, boldness, submission, faith, and appreciation. If this is not a constant theme in your life, you may not know Christ. You may not know Christ. If your heart does not have a gratitude for God's grace, if you don't have a boldness to pray, to go before your Father, to ask, if you can't submit to the Word of God and what it says to obey Him, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ and you're not appreciative of the Spirit of God within you, you may not know Christ. So I ask you today to be honest, to evaluate that. Here's the good news. If you don't, God loves you. His arms are open. He's going to call you. And I pray that you respond in faith. I pray that you respond in a faith that is real. It's not a moment. It's not a guilt trip. I don't think John tries to guilt trip anybody when he writes this letter. He just says, do you either live a life that looks like you're in the light or you live one that looks like you're in the dark? And so pray. The worst thing you can do today is leave Thinking, thinking that you've made a, a decision to follow Christ and not knowing that God drew you to Himself so that He could lavish His love and blessings upon you. And that when He does that, your affections will be for Him and not for this world. As the band comes back up, they're going to play through a song and then. Halfway through that song, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to have an opportunity to put into practice what we've just heard. And we're going to evaluate this laying down of my life. And we're going to look and remember what Christ did for us. The sacrifice on the cross that He laid down His life, that He took on sin when He knew no sin for you on your behalf so that you could be the glory of God the Father that you could radiate His glory but first you got to know Christ you got to know Christ you have to believe in Christ you have to have that faith in Christ so let me pray Father I pray, God, that your spirit works in our hearts. 